name's Bond. James Bond. What do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Grow up, 007. <laughs> this never happened to the other fellow. I'm the moon. Every penny of it. So you put your money where your mouth is. Well, that's quite a nice little nothing you're almost wearing. I approve. I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. Shocking, positively shocking. You get your clothes on, I'll buy you a nice trade. <laughs> Welcome back to Double Oz 7, a James Bond podcast for a, a very special episode today. It's not often we do interviews on this show. I think actually we've only done one. We sort of did another with Rossi a couple of weeks ago, if that really counts. But, uh, you know, we're talking about important people in the James Bond universe, not just some random person we got from another <laughs> podcast. And uh, this is a very special episode for the fact that we have got a guest and also that it made me read some books. Not one, but two books. This is right. <laughs> Finally, I've learnt to read and I've managed to read two books, which is very, very exciting. Before we introduce our guest, I will do the rare thing of actually introducing our co-host. Generally, we just introduce ourselves, but I guess I could say my name is Ben and thought I'd forgotten you, eh? Um, and Colin's here as well. Hello, Colin. <laughs> Welcome back. And my name is Colin, and I read many books. This is one of them. <laughs> well, you, you and Noah did books episodes before, so now I feel yes, like I'm let in. Uh, oh, look at this. Everyone's got their books. Yes. I don't have mine I on me. I don't have the, the other one. I, I'm waiting for it to arrive because, you know, it takes in Argentina like uh, 20 days. Wow. I, or so, so you, I, don't, you don't have a copy of your own book? <laughs> yes. As weird as, as it sounds, because you know I'm I'm the, in the other world, in <laughs> in the other corner of the world. So Come on, I'm Amazon! For it. Pick pick your game up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We have uh, Nicholas Sushik on the show. Come on! Sorry, sorry. I'll yeah. I'll send. I'll sign it for you and everything. Uh, Nick, Nicholas Susik's on the line here. The the author of uh, two great books: The World of Goldeneye and The Bond of the Millennium, which has just been released uh, and both fantastic. Nicholas, first of all, thank you very much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much to you both. I'm I'm very happy to be interviewed and to talk about uh, this. My two passions. I mean. I'm a James Bond fan, but I also I also admire Pierce Brosnan's Bond, so I'm I'm very happy to, to talk about it. Well, this is yeah. I think how we got drawn to to your books because it, it popped up on our newsfeed the uh, the Bond of Millennium book. And I remember sharing it straight away with Colin, going, Colin, check this out, because mm. we're huge advocates for Pierce Brosnan, uh, you know, absolute massive advocates for him. So straight away, we went out, we bought it, and uh, yeah, we, we contacted you because we thought it would be fantastic to have you on the, the show. And I think your story is very similar to, to Colin and mine, sort of how we got into Bond. We're all of that age bracket that you talk so much about in the books of kind of Pierce was our our Bond. You know, we discovered him through yeah. Goldeneye, through the video games and everything along those lines. And how how are you finding sort of the, the feedback you get from both books that you've written about Pierce Brosnan in general? Because you really are, I think, trying to make people remember just how great Pierce Brosnan was as James Bond when nowadays it seems to be kind of a, a bit forgotten about how good he was. Yeah, exactly. I mean, nowadays I think there's a, a some kind of theory that whenever a, a new Bond came, in this case we, we've got Daniel Craig, uh, 
Daniel Prey is more similar to, to Timothy Dalton's Bond, so people tend to associate. Now, it's kind of vindicated. Timothy Dalton and Craig are kind of vindicated, and Brosnan is kind of placed next to Roger Moore. And what I'm trying to to point out in in the Bond of the Millennium is exactly that, that I think Brosnan was, wasn't a Bond like Roger Moore. I mean, I... I've enjoyed all the James Bond, Daniel Craig, Sean Connery, Roger Moore. They were all great because, you know, the series, we are waiting to No Time to Die, you know, the 21st James Bond movie next year. So I think uh, we have kind of a, it's kind of like Bond is, is still alive and we owe that to every one of the, the six James Bond actors. But I think the the Brosnan era kind of predicted what we are waiting, what we are watching now in the in the Craig films. I mean, it's not like a a parodic Bond or a or a joke joking Bond. It's I know I think he's a he was an action hero for the nineties. You know, in back in that time, you know, you didn't expect the heroes to you didn't expect to know the background of those heroes or their emotional problems. There were more or less action heroes, you know, Harry Tasker, Martin Riggs, uh, all the, from Little Weapon, all the, all those kind of heroes. They're, they were kind of similar to, to what Brosnan's Bond was. Uh, I mean, an, an action hero with the characteristic glamour and, and flair of, of James Bond style i mean of bond but i think there there was the craig era also owes the the Brosnan era a lot i mean there there's a lot of of things we we discovered first in the Brosnan movies you know what's uh one of the most interesting things in your book that you talk about and uh, one of the things that people don't really give the pierce Brosnan era credit for is just the challenge that they had with having to reintroduce Bond after a six-year absence, which you might as well even say it's a longer absence than that, because by yeah. the time License to Kill comes out in 89, you know, um, you, you obviously talked a lot in the book about License to Kill, you know, not really hitting with audiences, so it had been a long time since Bond had really been, like, at the mania that there was with Sean Connery, and even in License to Kill, you know, they had started to adopt a little bit more of an American feel, so through the Martin Riggs and Lethal Weapon or the John McLean's and Die Hard, action movies had changed so much. By the time GoldenEye comes out, that whole question of is Bond even relevant? I mean, that's sort of been lost on us now. But you you have several uh, places in the book where you mention, you know, what a struggle it was to even get people to buy into James Bond. And even in the end, the success of GoldenEye took everybody by surprise because they just didn't yeah. see it coming that people would would love James Bond again. Yes, even Jeff Kleeman, you know, it. he was the vice president of United Artists. He told me that, that everyone was skeptical about, you know, betting on James Bond again. And then it, it became like the, the biggest uh, income for, for United Artists. It, Bond was in the 90s, what it, almost what it was in the 60s. I mean, License to Kill, nowadays... Again, I think the the Daniel Craig era helped uh, the the Dalton films, who were unpopular back then. It helped them to 
kind of to be vindicated nowadays you ask uh, many bond fans and they say oh license to kill is a fantastic movie and well i, I personally like it it's a different kind of bond film i personally like it but uh, i think there's kind of a vindication for for craig's bond but back in the in 1989 19, 1919 people didn't quite like that kind of movie i mean bond was kind of dead everyone you read the tabloids or even magazines i think like starlog uh, there was an article saying bond is dead uh, will bond survive the 90s there was kind of a lot of there people was doubting about i mean not only uh, audiences, people in general, but uh, producers and uh, the studio bosses. Uh, should we bring Bond back again? Will it? Uh, will we will need Bond back again? And well, I think GoldenEye proved that that Bond could still be a hero for the 90s, being the same Bond that it, he always was. I mean, being uh, the usual James Bond but just kind of readjusted for, for the 90s. Colin is one of the people who definitely doesn't like Licence to Kill. I think uh, if, we, if we were on the topic of Timothy Dalton, he would struggle to say anything uh, positive uh, about him. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I find it uh, kind of... A, it's an entertaining film, but I, I think it lacks style. Uh, both, mm-hmm. I mean, all the, the 80s Bond film, I think, from For Years Only in 1981 to Listen to Kill in 1989, I think, I mean, I like John Glenn as a di- director, but I think he, it, it lacked the, the style of Bond the, from the 60s that GoldenEye brought back. You know, look at the cinematography, the editing, those those are kind of the, the biggest... Uh, the biggest point of, of GoldenEye, I think, the the idea of all the Brosnan films, particularly, I mean, GoldenEye. For sure. What At what point did you decide that this was an idea to, to write, obviously, first of all, World of GoldenEye and then transition into Bond of Millennium? Because you've obviously got a bit of experience with writing for, um, you know, some James Bond magazines. You've got your own website, kind of things yeah. like that. But at what point did you sort of think, hey, I'm going to actually write some books about this topic? Well, it happened, I mean, this year I'm unemployed, so, well, I tried to, to find a way to to get some money, and, well, I I was told by by a friend of mine who wrote a, a book about uh, Timothy Dalton, about Dalton in general, I mean, Bond and beyond, and she recommended me a service of Amazon where, which is free, I mean, they, they charge you from every from every sale, and well, I tried it, and I mean, previously I I wrote in many magazines. Uh, I'm updating also the Golden Idol here, which is my my site. And well, I I think I had enough material to write a book first about Golden Eye because I it's a subject I know well. Everything, most of the things I think that emanate from the movie, I think I I could write. So I said I could write about this. And then, well, browsing in Bond forums and seeing many Facebook comments about, you know, uh, people who, who kind of try to 
forget they forgot about Pierce Brosnan or they were quite harsh with him like uh, he was a parody and all that I and I thought it, it was a way to vindicate his his era to to show these people that uh, I mean they they of course they can disagree but uh, I think there are there are topics to uh, to stand out kind of uh, there are things uh, you can say. Uh, you can show the. I can. I say. I said I could show these people that Rosan wasn't uh, the bad bond they they thought they they are. They were. In one of the things that I think most stands out that uh, you pinpoint in the book is uh, you know how well developed the female characters are. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously there there are some you know from the previous movies. You know, like uh, like Anya. Um, and uh, going back even to like um, uh, the the Connery movies, you know, uh, Fiona Volpe or Domino, they had a lot yeah. of development. But what they did differently, I think, in the Brosnan era was to involve it more of, as a personal story with Pierce. Like, particularly, you talk about Paris Carver a lot, which I think that, you know, when we were covering our recap of Tomorrow Never Dies, we were all sort of like, yeah, you know, maybe we didn't give Paris Carver enough credit. But I think you did make a really good case for her just um, in terms of how Bond responds to that. And one of the things yeah. that uh, stuck out for me was I started thinking about how you were describing Bond's reaction to her death and thinking, I don't think we'd ever seen that before, maybe outside of Tracy dying in On Majesty's Secret Service. And I know I certainly couldn't see Connery handling a character like that in his movies. Roger Moore could, and Dalton, even yeah. Craig's would be completely different. There's something about the Pierce Brosnan movies that that brought it humanized bond by giving him real interactions with these women that was more than just superficial well in fact i think it's it's kind of tragic to say it uh, this way but you know pierce is a widow he lost his first wife and i think that had kind had a connection with with bond bond is also a widow you know he he lost his wife pierce lost his wife so in that scene with Paris, you see the connection that, I mean, he's not a, a man that you could say, well, he uses the women, just pumps her up for information, as Sam says, but he kind he cares for her. He's worried. He even remember after they, they are together, she, she tell, she reveals him the, the way out to sneak into the laboratory of uh, his husband and, he tells her, you don't have to do this. So, and he, ca you can feel that he's guilty. He feels sad for, for letting Paris go, for, for involving her into all of this. So I think there's a, a bidimensionality there on, on Pierce Bond, on Pierce's Bond, there that the other Bonds didn't have. There's kind of a, a human side. I mean, we couldn't explore the human side of, Timothy Dalton very well. He had one, and well, George Lazenby. I think he was the first human bond, slight human bond. But I think Pierce was the bond that fully exploited the the human side of 007. I also really appreciated how, in your description of Brosnan's portrayal of the character, how you sort of mentioned that the many layers that were kind of a, a mixture of Connery. There was a bit of more in there. There was a bit of Dalton in there, which personally that's always been my defense of 
Brosnan as Bond because I really do think he's the perfect blend of all the other 007 actors. And I think that you summed that up fantastically when you were summarising everything along those lines. Do you think, again, sort of back to my question before about people trying to appreciate this era more, do you think that that's where maybe people need to look at him the most as Bond as just to how many layers he did bring to this and how he does really have that overall blend of so many of these other actors who have played the character? Yeah, exactly. I think that's that goes for on one side, but on the other side... Another important thing is, I think, the, the era, I mean, the, the 19th and the millennium. You know, you could, you can say uh, Rosnan was a weak bond because he wasn't like Daniel Craig, because it's it's a different era. You you weren't expecting the same of Rosnan. I mean, the E.ON and MGM, they, they liked a different side of bond. They wanted the... A bond that was different to Dalton and Craig. They wanted that kind of bond who, uh, a womanizer in a way, but also a bond that goes in, in a tuxedo, that gambles hard on the casino. And I think that uh, that's another thing to look at, how the movies were made in the... The action movies in the 90s, You we don't have in the... 2010s, the same movies we had in the 90s or in the 80s. It's so that that has a lot a lot to do with uh, his portrayal. And yes, I think it's not an easy challenge to to blend in all the previous uh, bonds. I mean, you have to. I mean, he had his his kind of his personal side. He added the the vulnerability of the human side of Bond. Uh, he exploited it. He, I won't say he added it. He explore, exploited it well. But yes, I think it's, it's a huge challenge to combine all the, the previous uh, four actors. I think one of the other things that uh, often gets forgotten with Pierce, and just the world is not enough in general. And I loved how much you you talked uh, about the world is not enough. You know, Ben and I are big supporters of the world is not enough, uh, and particularly yeah. the Electric King character. And it it feels like it's one of these things where the the movie gets branded because of Christmas Jones and Denise Richards, and everyone's like, oh, it's a bad movie because of her. And they completely forget that you probably have the most complex female character that's ever been in a yeah. movie. Uh, with the ultimate villain being her. And, and you even have a quote in there from Barbara Broccoli where she said that, you know, this story was really about Bond thinking that he found another Tracy and he ends up finding another Blofeld in Electric King. Why do you think Electric King isn't really as remembered for that movie as Christmas Jones is, you know, for the wrong reasons? I don't know, really. I think people is kind of blindfolded. People don't want to see the reality to so to speak, because it's, I mean, if you watch the movie dispassionately, you, you could see that even Michael Apted, you know, the, the director said, uh, Christmas Jones is just a, a character to to make Bond, to give Bond his, his prize in a way. Uh, it wasn't meant to be an important character, just a a prize for, for James Bond. And Electra is the real, the real she's the villain, I mean, you have to see that Bond kills that woman. He, she betrays him. She thinks, no, you, you will miss me. She shoots him. 
she shoots her and that I never missed. That that's quite a scene. That's I mean mm-hmm. I I don't see Daniel Craig or Timothy Dalton or or Connery. Not not even Connery during that scene. It's you have to have a great acting acting skills to do that. So I well I think she um, regarding the Barbara Broccoli's line. I think she was re- uh, referencing that uh, Parvis and Wade, the screenwriters, looked after, they were reading The World is Not Enough, uh, and they were reading on Her Majesty's Secret Service, Ian Fleming's novel, and they tried to de- deconstruct uh, the, the novel. I think, well, The World is Not Enough, I think it emanates from on Her Majesty's Secret Service and a little from Casino Royale. You know, Bond finds this girl, he cares about her, it wasn't really his job to protect her, but he feels compelled to protect her. And well, we are all fooled, James Bond and the audience, into thinking this this woman is a victim, is innocent, that she's a, a poor little angel. And well, she she was the mastermind. Even the villain, the the one we think it's the main villain, Renard, it's actually a a man. It, it's her, it's her henchman, but mm-hmm. so it was that thing. It's kind of inspired also in the in the jungle movies where we are meant to believe we have one villain, and then we discover the one we thought it was an ally. It was the real villain, and well, it happened here with a uh, girl. So I think it's a fast. All the I think the Brosnan has fascinating characters. And it's also interesting sort of in this day and age now where, you know, we're in a progressive time when everything's sort of led by more of female sort of character, kind of, you know, there's there's lots of progression for females in movies and everything. But sort of as Colin was talking about, you you discuss a lot about the importance of the female characters in the Brosnan era. And I think it's kind of interesting if you say compared Brosnan's era to Craig's era with sort of the female characters, you know, you, you beautifully summed up Natalia and Goldeneye and kind of her importance in that film. Colin obviously mentioned with, with Paris, you know, Carver, somebody who, yeah, like maybe does a bit of a blink and a miss and you don't realise that importance are there. Obviously with Electra, and then even in Die Another Day with, with Miranda Frost and, and Jinx to an extent. And then you sort of compare that to Daniel Craig. I mean, obviously we have Vesper in, in Casino Royale. Yeah. Quantum of Solace, eh, Skyfall, I mean, M is the Bond girl. Um, and then obviously yeah. we've got, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, Leia Seydoux in Inspector. It's kind of, it's it's interesting to kind of look back at that. Would you maybe say that the, the Bond era progressed the female character in Bond more so than the Craig era has and kind of set that standard to where we're getting now in movies more often with that female character type? Well, I think it's... Uh... I think the Brosnan era was the one that came first uh, into doing all of this. But, you know, it's nowadays we we live in this era where, you know, everything, the female roles are becoming more and more important. So people, I think, are, are looking... I think they, they have the, the Craig movies closer, so they look through a looking glass. I mean, the all the... The Craig films and well, I think the the Brosnan movies came first with all this, all of these uh, things like uh, you know the the Bond girls becoming more attached to Bond, 
becoming also more independent. You know, you have like Natalia questioning him, why do you do this job? And then discover this job of yours, it's murder for relationship. Uh, we saw that in West Berlin, in Madeleine Swan, uh, but I think people forget that Brosnan came first, but I think it's a matter of, of time, you know. Uh, a Bond fan, for a 10-year-old Bond fan, 15-years-old Bond fan, he'll watch the Craig movies and he, will, he wouldn't bother in checking out the, the Brosnan films. But if he if he did, I think he'll realize that uh, Brosnan came first with that. Another thing interesting with Piers Brosnan is that, uh, you know, when you sort of sit there and you analyze from GoldenEye to Die Another Day, his involvement in the movies. And, you know, you mentioned several times, like, especially by the time they got to The World's Not Enough, a lot of these things were his insistence to the point where he wanted this to deal upon dealing with betrayal and things like that and then the elevation of m's character and it seems almost very selfless for an actor to say you know i don't just want this to be my movie i want you to do all these other things and when you look at how m's character evolved in GoldenEye, i think you you wrote interesting how yeah uh, he went from okay you're a misogynist dinosaur to tomorrow never dies i'm going to give you this important mission to world's not yeah. enough i'm going to trust you with my personal affairs we never could have gotten yeah. to the Craig movies without that. And that's something that Piers Brosnan himself really pushed for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you watch... Uh, I was. I even mentioned that in the book that Skyfall got a lot of praise and the world is not enough is constantly bashed. But I think most of the things we, we liked in Skyfall came from the world is not enough. I mean, the, the plot is almost very similar. I mean, the... The difference, perhaps, is that, uh, you know, Skyfall has uh, a Craig era ending and, and you know, the world is not enough. Ends like a Bond movie. Bond beats the villain, gets the girl. Skyfall is more, more updated in that sense, more like the movies of today. But you, people can say that uh, introduce Skyfall as something really new and exotic. It, it was, I mean... That's the importance of The World is Not Enough, I think. He, that was the movie that changed, I think, the, the style of Bond into what he, what he is today. It's, I mean, Colin mentioned before that we're big defenders of The World is Not Enough. I'll say, Nicholas, that, that to me is my favourite James Bond movie. Out of all the James Bond movies, it's The World is Not Enough, number one, yeah. Goldeneye, number two. They're, like, they're my top two. And, you know, sort of you've wrote a whole book on Goldeneye, of course, so we know your love of that film. You, you talk up The World is Not Enough. Tomorrow Never Dies and Die Another Day is kind of interesting, sort of how, you know, you sort of, you write about both of those films. I mean, if you had to choose between those two, just outside of The World Is Not Enough and GoldenEye, do, do you have a, a preference kind of between Tomorrow Never Dies and, and Die Another Day? And, and do you think that out of those two, which are maybe considered the weakest out of the Brosnan films, do you think there's a... Uh, a big defense for that you can sort of have for those two that people who maybe do bag those out a little bit more than the other ones that why people shouldn't? Uh, well, I prefer Tomorrow Never Dies. I think it's my second favorite after GoldenEye. You know, it's I think it's very, a hugely entertaining movie. I mean, you, you could watch it with all your family and everybody will be in chat. The pacing is fast. Uh, 
it's I mean it's not a kind of a serious film like it doesn't have the the deepness of Golden Eye and the world is not enough the char- the characters are not well developed it's kind of a rushed film in a way as many of the action movies of the 90s but I think it's a highly entertaining movie and well die another day it's the movie that is the first bond of the millennium it anticipated the rawness, the violence we have in the in movies today. I remember I was 12 when I first watched it, and I mean it. It's, it wasn't the kind of violence you co- you couldn't watch or that you have to cover your your eyes. But I the first I I thought it was like wow, this is this is a violent movie for for what Bond has always been, and well I think there are a lot of subtleties of in our day, you know, the the villain, the the scheme of the villain is like the the Trojan horse. Even in the novelization, is quote, quoted that uh, he that Gustav Graves planned the the biggest uh, infiltration on the enemy camp since the days of the Trojan War. So, well, I think that that speaks a lot about the movie. I don't think it's a. I mean. I think it had the, the mistake of adding too many digital effects and CGI. That's what I didn't really like about the movie, but I don't think the the script is really that bad. There I you think go, it's, Colin. Listen, it's, it's not a... that bad. There, come on. <laughs> I, I, well, I will, I will say that, like, you're, you, you talk about, like, the first half of Die Another Day, and I'm like, that's all yes. the strong stuff there. It's just it quickly devolves as more you get closer to the end, it gets more outlandish. But, you know, the sword fight, fantastic. You know, the hovercraft that's chase, right. especially. Yes, I I think it's, I mean, overall, it's a, it's a very good movie. I think it's, people need to rewatch it and to, to think. I even had a, a discussion with someone that he was telling me this now, this, there's more violence in a playground than in this movie. And <laughs> I showed him, but look, the Bond is tortured. The, there's, he's beaten up by the North Koreans. The movie is kind of raw. It's kind of violent during the, at least the first uh, 50 minutes uh, and the first uh, half an hour at least. And he was that. But that's what, what I was trying to tell you, that people are kind of blind. They they don't want to, to admit that a lot of these huge things they all love in the in the Craig movies emanated from from the Brosnan era. I ran, random yeah. question. You, you, you mentioned uh, you talk about the music in the Millennium, uh, the Bond of Millennium, oh. and sort of you, you quickly pass over the fact that obviously Madonna's song, not the most popular of all the James Bond songs. <laughs> just just your, your your opinion, Nicholas. Are, are you a defender or a hater of uh, the Madonna theme? It's not among my favorites, I have to admit. <laughs> but you know what? There's really not a Bond song I could say I I don't like. Maybe my least favorite out of all the the theme songs is uh, "Another Way to Die" from Quantum of Solace. But I even like the writings on the wall. I think it's a. Uh, I mean, it's not like the song you would say it's the best out of them all. But I could. I mean, I can listen to it and I enjoy it. I, Inspector, I think it fits with the movie. But coming back to Madonna, it's not my. Fa- it's not Golden Eye or The World Is Not Enough, which are great songs. But 
I, I can't really say I hate it. That, that's I, good enough I for me. Have, that's good I, enough for me. That you can't yes. say you hate it. I mean, that, you, that's a positive review for Die Another Day if I've heard one. That's good. I like it. I, I'm a defender. I'm I mean, a defender, Nicholas. I love Madonna, so like I'm going to defend fits, it. If it fits, if a song fits in the in the main titles, I think it's a great song. That's because that's the function. The function the song has to do with the movie played over the main titles, and if it works, then great. Well, you also have sections of the book where you talk about, uh, you know, obviously the production and, uh, you know, the stories. But then you get into, like, the music of the movies, uh, the theme songs and even the scores. And, you know, obviously the the score for GoldenEye takes up a large part of that. But uh, the, the introduction of David Arnold when you get to Tomorrow Never Dies and the fact they did, like, the Shaken, Not Stirred album before that. Uh, similar to what you're saying about, you know, Tomorrow Never Dies, like, it's, it's just sort of like you're typical bond adventure it's not really deep or anything but my introduction to bond i mean obviously i was introduced through golden eye like everybody else but tomorrow never dies was sort of the one that made me get what bond was about you know everybody grew up knowing bond cliches and the one-liners and all that and it wasn't until i saw tomorrow never, tomorrow never dies that i connected those dots and uh, I, I think there was a part where you're talking about, you know, when David Arnold was doing the score and they just kept telling him, OK, we want the Bond theme here again and the Bond theme here. And so much of, I think, why that movie stands out as more traditional classic Bond movie uh, and something that helped me understand the rest of the series a lot easier is because they found all those moments to say we want the Bond theme here or we want a villain that's very over the top, like, you know, uh, Hugo Drax or Goldfinger. Yeah, well, I think the well, I mean, after GoldenEye, you know, Eric Serra didn't use the, didn't like to use the James Bond theme enough. I think he did a, a good score. I enjoyed it. Uh, but other than that, I think they, it was needed to bring the signature Bond theme back for Tomorrow Never Dies so that people could associate somehow the, the character with, with that classic that fantastic tune and well i i think the movie kind of sometimes it kind of abuses of it's kind of repetitive the bond theme i prefer a little more the soundtrack for the world is not enough i think it's a little more exotic just like the movie i think the film is a little bit more exotic than than tomorrow dies but those are great soundtracks i think though the the one i i don't have even a, a bad Brosnan soundtrack. I, I love them all in a way, but well, I really, if I had to tell you my my least like the Bond soundtrack, it, it would be Bill Conti's Four Years Only. But yeah. <laughs> it's not... See, it's, it's good, but it's not my, my style of music. But mm-hmm. Yes, I think it, there was the influence of Mike Sandoval, I think, was the the president of MGM Music who asked him to? It was every all the time. Is the one theme? Is the one theme there? Are you placing the one theme? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They needed to to bring a characteristic sound. I think it was very interesting. Still on the soundtrack, you know, talking about Eric Sarah's score in goldeneye because you know it is kind of the one part of goldeneye that maybe is talked down but i i mean look 
I personally don't have a huge problem with it. I, I was actually listening to it last night, sort of uh, in preparation for this interview. And I think the unique thing about Goldeneye, I mean, it's the same with any Bond film. You listen to the, the score and generally it takes you back to that film. You know what scene's happening. But Goldeneye's just got a, such a unique sound to it that it just it feels so uniquely... Goldeneye, like that's the only way I can explain it, because it also then ties in, I think, to the video game as well. It's kind of got that very similar sound, and so many people associate Goldeneye with the video game even more so than the movie. So, I mean, do you kind of feel that it is the most unique soundtrack of all the James Bond films? Yeah, indeed. I think it's the that soundtrack, the the most atypical soundtrack. All, out of all the Bond movies, but it worked. I mean, it's not a soundtrack you could use for Tomorrow Never Dies, for The World Is Not Enough, for Skyfall, but it's the kind of soundtrack you could use for, for GoldenEye. It's very 90s, very modern, very very much of the film, uh, a post-Cold War time. Uh, you know, the computers everywhere, we are in the 90s. That's what the soundtrack tries to tell you, that we are now in the 90s, and this is a new era, Bond is in a, uh, in a new world. In that sense, I think it, it works brilliantly. And another thing that uh, you cover in the book is obviously the video games, um, which also gets forgotten you know pierce brosnan they'll say okay he had four movies but you actually sort of end the book by saying he spent a decade in the role which included this this and this video game as well uh you know obviously the golden eye game is always like the gold standard not just for bond games but just video games across the board probably you know one of the five most popular video games of an entire generation uh but it spawned this series that went on forever and they spent so much time and effort even in developing the games by getting original stories like in uh, uh everything or nothing and um uh, uh night and what was a night fire um not not so much double seven racing but uh, <laughs> uh agent under fire but uh like that's still a big part of the pierce brosnan era even just pierce brosnan himself aside because it's just his likeness those games are still part of the series as much as people will say novelizations were a part of you know the roger moore series in the 80s yeah yeah, well, uh, well, all the Brosnan films also had novelizations. They were very useful to write my my book because you can expand a lot of the characters through them. And well, I think the games uh, also helped to the popularity of, of Brosnan's era. You know, many kids, I think the first contacts they had with the series were the video games. Me, myself, I mean... I was, I think, before watching GoldenEye, the movie, I played the video game. I didn't have a, a Nintendo 64, but I went to a toy store. And, well, there were a lot of kids playing this huge game. And I asked one of them, which which is this game? And he told me, Agent 007. I said, well, this movie. I, I like the game. And then I saw a huge billboard of, of Pierce Brosnan. And that I connected the game with the with the film, and that's how I how I became a Bond fan. And I think I I think I'm not the only one that many people became a Bond fan through the video games. Do Do you think you've spent more time playing Goldeneye 007, 007, That's the name of the game. Double O Seven on Nintendo sixty four or watching Goldeneye the movie. 
watching the movie because I didn't own a Nintendo 64. I rented it with my dad. We rented it from a video store. It, it was it wasn't really expensive, but they they we rented the the console with the game. So we played it like a, a weekend, and then we had to to bring it back to owners. And well, now I bought a Nintendo 64 back in 2010, I think, or 2011. And well, I now I play with the emulator sometimes too because it has a better definition. But no, definitely, I it was the movie that I watched. It. I can even tell the difference between the many home video formats, you know, from the VHS, the laser disc, you know, the I think the there are huge mistakes in the in the Ultimate Edition DVD where the the frame is cropped and well the the Blu-ray looks has a lot of DNR, you know, digital noise reduction that makes the they look awkward, all the the actors, the faces, and I. For what I've seen, the the 4K, the, which is av available on the Apple Store, it's I think the best version to watch the movie. It's it's I mean it's, I was going to say it's kind of almost is it like sort of the Star Wars argument where it's like you know oh we want to watch the the original release you know as it was intended. I mean obviously you know Martin Campbell's not coming out every ten years and you know adding a couple of digital effects into Goldeneye, changing you know that Xenia shot first instead of uh, Bond or anything like that. But I mean it's kind of. To, to watch a movie as it's originally intended sometimes too is, you know, it's it's a great way of, you know, seeing that you don't necessarily always need those digital enhancements to kind of make a film better, if that makes sense. Yes, I I think with every home video version, we start a little... And I can really tell how how the movie looked in the beginning. I was five when released and I wasn't a Bond fan, so I can really tell you which were the original colors, but I can imagine that uh, they it didn't look like in the Blu-ray. I think there there was a difference there. I, and I think the 4K print is the, the closest we have to, to what the movie was like. But I think it's, it definitely it was a wonderful movie. You mentioned a lot about the the teaser trailer for for Goldeneye as well about how that kind of set the the standard for for modern day trailers and I don't think that's something that we really we touched on too much about that because that that trailer is is iconic it is a fantastic trailer and really just you know you can see what you're talking about how it set the the bar high for that sort of thing i mean it, it's really kind of one of these things with goldeneye isn't it that that's the first vision you see of this movie you know you're in for something special and i mean here we are nearly 25 years later talking about this movie i mean it just everything seemed to fit together well for this movie didn't it yeah indeed i mean all the goldeneye there was an article i think in forbes i think i quote quoted that article where it says that GoldenEye changed the the way a trailer uh, sold you a movie. I mean, come to think about it, um, all the, in the previous Bond trailers, you have this thing of, you have full clips, you know, people nowadays complain about spoilers and, you know, every, a single shot can be a spoiler. An official, re an officially released uh, synopsis could be a spoiler nowadays, but you know, 
the Golden Eye trailer left you with nothing. They showed you a, an explosion. It was all flashes, flashes, and that was it. So I think it was fantastic. It left you with, it made you hungry for the movie. I also wanted to just uh, comment on you know the fact that your book's titled the bond of the millennium too and another one of the things that sort of gets forgotten about pierce brosnan is just how modern these movies had to be and were because i think they're often considered to be oh you know golden eye and tomorrow never dies world's not enough you know they're they're such great throwbacks to like the classic bonds like spy who loved me or goldfinger or you know you only live twice which you reference similarities several times to but the use of technology in them, which you spent a lot of time writing about, uh, you know, the the internet, the fact that Bond has a cell phone for the first time, uh, you know, the, the gadgets, more than even just the gadgets, just how technology is worked into these stories, it really sets it in the 90s in, in a way that I don't think I was, you know, quite aware of until you really uh, sat and read it in your book, more so than I can think of anything during the Roger Moore era sets it in the 70s or maybe with the exception of like the you know the the drugs in license to kill or a little bit on you know the fall of the soviet union uh you know in the the late 80s you don't really get how much of that decade is infused into those movies as you do in the pierce brosnan movies yeah indeed i mean the world has changed and i think all the Mod movies in general are a testimony of uh, their release year. But, you know, in GoldenEye, you see how much the world has changed. How, you know, be, all, everything we have now, uh, the internet, uh, we didn't have social media then. But, you know, the the speed of light in communications, uh, all of that, it, you know, the, there's a, a line from M who says... Uh, Unlike the American governments, we prefer not to get our news from <laughs> CNN. And that was uh, that was reference to, to a, a study about a CNN effect where, you know, the CNN told governments how to act, what to do, the influence, the impact of communications. So, well, I think that has a lot to do with the, with the times. That's what... You know, many people, sometimes I, I read that said that Bond movies should be peace period, I mean, set in the 60s or 50s. I don't think that would be a great idea. Because, you know, I think the magic of Bond is that uh, we it's a hero we need for now. It's not a hero for the 50s. He was created in the 50s and in the 60s with the movies. But I think the grace of Bond is seeing him now. I mean, handling a cell phone uh, or, I mean, I don't think Bond will use social media network. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, in, it, I like to see him in this world and to see him facing the, the threats we have today. You know, in Spectre, we have the that idea of the communications where nothing is private, when MI6 has a mole that wants to infiltrate the 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 security networks of nine countries so well that's that speaks a lot of, about it you know that's in and well golden eye tomorrow never dies did it with the mass media and you know we we talk a lot about fake news even in as a bond fan sometimes i say oh 
this is fake, this is a clickbait. I say it often, I say often in my pages, but, you know, back then, you know, the plan of the billion was a, a clickbait, you know, uh, the British fleet warns the, the Chinese fleet, and there was even an article saying that, well, nowadays, uh, you could discover it was a fake because of the so of the social networks. Someone will tweet, uh, "This is fake." That's it. But back then, people be really believed in mass media, in a media group like Carvers. Mm -hmm. Everyone, you know, you see in, in Tomorrow Never Dies. That's something great about the the film. How the the defense minister reads the newspaper about the seventeen machine gun bodies and he said well we are sending the fleet after reading a newspaper that speaks a lot of the 90s and the the influence of the media so that's uh, that's something another thing we had we owe to the to the brosnan movies how relevant they were and how a testimony of the of the 90s they are now one thing that I really appreciate with that technology is that uh, in Casino Royale, when we see Bond using email and we see that email in his uh, <laughs> inbox saying uh, stationary order, which, um, you know, we, we try to analyze just exactly how an email exchange goes between James Bond and MI6 going, DM, I would like five pens, seven rulers, eight staples. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we would never have had that without Pierce Brosnan, would we? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. Casino Royale also did, in a way, the same. It, uh, you know, back then it was almost impossible that Bond wouldn't have a cell phone after 2006. But you know, in the Brosnan era, it's ironic that Bond only uses a cell phone in Tomorrow Never Dies. And well, so I think Bond is always uh, a testimony of the current times. But well, they did it in, in the Brosnan era very well. It's it's interesting too, one thing that I appreciate about Brosnan a lot is the passion that he had for the role. I know in the, the 50th anniversary documentary they released uh, when Skyfall came out and they were talking to Brosnan, I mean, he genuinely seemed disappointed when he talked about the fact that he was, you know, the first and only Bond to basically be let go from the role. D yeah. Do you, how do you see a fifth Brosnan film? Had he been kept on? Uh, how do you think that would have gone had he been kept on for one more film at least? Well, I think they would have gone the same way. I I really don't think they would have done Casino Royale with him because, you know, Casino Royale had to introduce a new actor if they were going to adapt it faithfully with, you know, with the reboot. Like So I think it worked with Daniel Craig, but I think it would be a little bit more of the same, you know, gadgets, girls, but... We would have all these things. Probably it would have gone in the same way than Diane or Day without all the special effects and all that. But a story, I mean, a dark story with a psycholo psychological evolution of the char of the character. You know, all, all of that. Uh, all, all many of the things we, we are seeing in the Craig movies, you know, the... All of this, uh, you trust me, the, the conversations between Bond and M, I need to trust you. I think it would have been a Bond movie like that, in that sense. But with all the, the characteristic of Brosnan, he would have stayed with one of the girls. 
there would have been a, a female villain, probably uh, a villain with an, an ambition. So that's I think it would have been a mixture of the new era of the the two end the first half of the two thousand and well the usual topics of Pierce Brosnan's Bond. I think one of the most unfortunate things is that you know Pierce himself seems to kind of buy into this, you know, Pierce Brosnan was an average Bond thing. Uh, like even that that quote where uh, I think you mentioned in the book where on that same documentary, he was saying, you know, oh, Tomorrow Never Dies, was that the second or third? Like he can't even keep track of his own movies. Like GoldenEye was really the only movie for him. And I think he kind of undervalues what he did bring to the role, which maybe has more to do just with the, the public's perception. You know, if the public tells you something over and over and over again, you know, you're just going to start believing yourself. And what was really interesting for us is that when we started this podcast over four years ago, uh, our other co-host, Noah, who's not here today, he was like the biggest Roger Moore fan. At the time, we basically said, you're like the voice for people, you know, speaking for why they love Roger Moore. And you flash forward four years, and I would say even pre-Roger Moore's death, there seems to be this huge resurgence in popularity for the Roger Moore films and for what he did differently. When do you think that's going to come? Like, do you think it's going to come within Pierce's lifetime? Do you think it's going to come by the time Bond gets handed over to another actor and people aren't going to be so closely associated with Craig? Yeah, I think that uh, if after Daniel Craig, we have a, a more charming, so to speak, Bond actor a la Roger Moore or a la Pierce Brosnan, a, a softer, I mean, kind of Bond portrayal. I think they, they'll adore that kind. They'll vindicate a little bit more the Brosnan Bond, and maybe Craig and Dalton will be all once again the, the questioned Bond portrayals. Because, you know, the new generations will and gener I mean, I I was part of the generation who grew up with Pierce Brosnan, and when you ask me how James Bond is, I, I think of of Brosnan. I mean, so mm -hmm. I watch Dalton or Craig. I I watch those movies and I can enjoy them, but you know, for me, Brosnan. So yeah. I think that will happen eventually. I think it's. He's, that Brosnan himself seems kind of disappointed of these movies, but I think it's a it's a wrong perception. So I hope he's he's reading this book and he mm -hmm. could notice. Well, but I understand uh, what he says that well he what I think what he's trying to say uh, regarding all of this is that he expected to be to have more a uh, deeper personality, a deeper portrayal of Bond, uh, a more kind of a, a, a Craig movie. He would have liked to, to have a, a Craig kind of, a Casino Royale kind of film, and mm. he didn't. But, you know, I think he, he insisted to the producers that the producers wanted to keep with the, the known formula and didn't want to do a big change until Craig came. So... I understand what he's trying to mean when he undermines his movies, that he expected to have more emotional development of Bond and he couldn't. But I don't really think he, he thinks he was so bad because Bond was an important part of his life. And I think there, the world has to know that he has uh, many, loyals, many loyal followers, and admirers, 
Absolutely. We're, I mean, three of us are right here. And I, I really like sort of how you do that in, in um, you know, your latest book and sort of basically tie it into the fact that, you know, this was a role he was born to play from, you know, seeing, you know, Goldfinger at the cinemas to marrying a Bond girl and everything along those lines. You, you interviewed a lot of people in the book, uh, both of your books. Did you reach out, try and get Pierce Brosnan? Did you get any sort of traction about trying to get an interview with him? No, I kind of know it's... It's almost impossible because you know, <laughs> I friend who who has some contact. I don't know if he could have talked the way talk out to to ask him to to be interviewed by me because you know he's a star. I I know that, but it would have been fantastic. But I think I, the focus. I didn't want to make a focus so much on the interviews and all that, but more on the the critical analysis of the era. I, of course, I added a, a part of the making of the films just to, but it was kind of critical too because I wanted to show people look, the cinematography of Golden Eye is great and the world is not enough too. The music is great. That's what I tried to do. The All of the other information, for example, well, I interviewed Sarah Donoghue, who is the, the stand double for Maria Cucinota, a lovely woman, I must say. But well, she, I think that should, that was added value that helped me a lot, and I think it's part of the richness of the bond of the millennium. But the main objective was not to write a making of or kind of an official book. It was it, it's a sub subjective book. That's my. I think everything is subjective nowadays. I mean when. Whenever the question, who is your favorite James Bond, everyone will say, most of them, well, Sean Connery. And, well, I yes, I agree, Connery was a great Bond, but the answer is still subjective because you can't rationally say this is the best Bond because of, and explain it uh, from the head. It, it's an answer you can only reply from, from your heart. That's it. It's... The bond you grew up with, the bond that won an audience. Uh, Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Pierce Brosnan, I think were the bonds that the most popular bonds, that, the one that led, I think Daniel Craig also nowadays. We'll, we'll see when he retires, but I think those were the most, the one that attracted a, a huge audience. Ben, we we got rejections from all the bonds, or did Pierce's people not even bother with a rejection to us? <laughs> the only response we got, um, because it's it's tricky when you sort of find these details. I mean, they've got like twenty different agents. You know, they've got a, a literary agent, a voice agent, a theatre agent, and we we got a response from I think a theatre agent for Brosnan, who basically was very polite and said like, oh, look, you know, I don't handle those requests. However, I've forwarded your request mm. on to the person who does and we never heard back from them. So um, yeah. <laughs> that that was that was our one little communication with uh, someone connected to Pierce. But um, yeah, no, we, mm. we um, that would be the dream. I, I would say that would be the dream. I mean, I, I guess Connery probably would be just with the iconic status and the fact that he's retired. But um, for Colin and I personally, well, Nicholas, I would say it would be the, the Pierce interview. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, just yeah. just curious. You've done, you know, a GoldenEye book and a Brosnan era book all basically within a year. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And two, it took me two months to write both books or more wow. or less. I mean, 
takes me two months to read a book, Nicholas, and you've done you've written two in two. Wow, that's great. (laughs) I was like hours writing and writing and writing, but it paid off. Mm -hmm. Do you have a third book in mind now? Are you going to you know explore more Brosnan or move on to something else, Bond? Yes, I have a new book in mind. It's I'm thinking I'm I have to finish to translate. I'm translating the the Bond of the Millennium into Spanish language because there's a uh, you know in Spanish we don't have a big audience that will buy the book, but just in case it's I mean I want to do the service for those who don't speak English uh, mm-hmm. to. Make me make myself understand and well get some more bucks. But anyway, I'm thinking of writing something about the James Bond trailers because you know mm-hmm. we talked. Uh, I think there's a lot to explore in each of the trailers. Uh, how the the process from from the Doctor No trailer to the No Time Today trailer that maybe will come in the next few weeks. I think it will be interesting to to evaluate, but don't expect there kind of an an essay with quotations and all that. It will be more or less like a a personal, like an observation of each of the trailers. But I hope people will will like it too. Fast, I I, I look forward to that because um, I, I I'm a big fan of some of like the seventies trailers. You know, we had that the one of the Roger Moore ones where it's like, and don't forget in this film more. you can get more. Roger Moore, uh, <laughs> that, that style, like uh, that'd be a great idea. It's completely different from now. You you have the the Gambarrel, Roger Moore is James Bond, and now it's just dialogues. We don't even have in Golden Eye and the Brosnan films. We still have the the narration, and now mm-hmm. the in real, it's all the the trailer is narrated with dialogues from the movie that explain self explain the plot in a way. I think it's um, a great project that you've undertaken with both of these books, and and they're really like you know all jokes aside, without me reading, like I I couldn't put either of them down. You know, it was very easy to read them and kind of you know in that quick time turnaround. How how have you found sort of other reactions from fans out there? I, I mean, kind of things, sales going well, feedback going well. I mean, there seems to be a lot of people commenting and sharing that they've bought these books. I'm seeing obviously on your Facebook pages, you're sharing people with the books on their shelves and everything like that. So it seems to be getting good traction out there amongst the bond community yeah i i think while well, the social media i think it helped a lot because people i kept sharing and people kept sharing and that you know it viralizes in a way so i think that helped me a lot i mean i'm not like what you could say a a huge uh, it's not a success in the sense of a a real a really public published book like uh, i mean the the official bond books or other kind of unofficial bond books but for what i expected yes the the reception has has been quite well and the reviews have been positive and the movie I mean, rights fact, are still up for grabs right <laughs> yeah <laughs> people who told me who i saw they wrote uh, it was uh, with the the world of all the night it was a very bad book i asked them well tell me why is Bad, so maybe I could fix that. In I can keep that in mind, but they never answered. They just it's a bad book. So well, come on. 
Wow. Maybe they just I, didn't like Pierce or GoldenEye or who knows. Maybe it was... Uh, Daniel Craig wrote that. He's just not happy that it wasn't about uh, him. And your website, GoldenEye Dossier, uh, you're doing an updated version of that. So uh, coming coming sort of uh, a new version next year, I believe. Yes. Uh, you know, in next year we have uh, not only the, the next month film coming out, but we also have uh, the 25th anniversary of GoldenEye. So... Yes, it, I'm designing the the update, so it will there will be film stills, posters, uh, kind of a more tidy browsing uh, system because you know the blogspot has many limitations, and I think it's the Golden Idol series is not the kind of site to publish updates. Uh, it's not like a news feed, and the other. Scheme was very much like a newsfeed, and it's more like a web, a tribute web page that I want to do with where you click in one page and you have, well, update here, and then in another page, uh, you have like film stills, posters, all the, the information, kind of an encyclopedia of GoldenEye. I mean, there were many tribute sites. There was one for on Her Majesty's Secret Service, another one for Thunderball back in the 90s. Now they are extinct, but they were a huge inspiration for the Golden Idol Sierra. All right, Colin, this is it. This is what you and I have got to start a project then. Um, you know, we're about three years removed from the 20th anniversary of Die Another Day. So, dieanotherday.com oh. coming soon, I think. What do you reckon? <laughs> um, I'm going to pass. <laughs> Come on, there's demand for it. There's demand for it, I think. Uh, Nicholas, it's been a pleasure to chat with you because people, if you if you do want to pick up a copy of either of the books, World of Gold and I, Bond of the Millennium, just head to Amazon and both very much worth it. You can get it in both uh, paperback format and Kindle format. Uh, there is a Spanish version of uh, World of GoldenEye as well, and as you said, coming soon, Bond of Millennium in uh, Spanish as well. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, mate, chatting with you about this. As we said, we're huge Brosnan fans. We, we jumped at the opportunity to read these books, so uh, I'm glad that there are people out there willing to defend the man as much as we at least attempted to. So it's a, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much, Ben and Colin. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure. Greetings from Buenos Aires. So there we go. Nicholas Susik, author of World of Gold Eye, Bond of Millennium. Look at that, Colin. We barely even um, talked up Die Another Day. It's not really about that, though, was it? <laughs> I don't think there was uh, much of a chance of that happening. <laughs> you avoided playing a song. Oh, I set myself up for that Hang one. Hang on, what, what was that? Playing a song? No, oh, oh. no. Running all time high. <laughs> you should never... You do realize you are the sole purpose we play this goddamn uh, song every episode. You're the one who brings... It's this in secret love of Die Another Day that you have. But, oh, um, <laughs> Shut up with that filth. <laughs> Dieanotherday.com. Get on to it. I know, seriously. <laughs> I will say, though, like, we knock Die Another Day on here because it's goofy. But I mean, even when we had Rossi on last month and you know, he was talking about Die Another Day, I'm like, hey, there's really good stuff in that movie. You know, it's it's just <laughs> if, if you're going to pick one Brosnan to skip, I think it's it's good to end with Worlds on Enough and not go there. <laughs> when you do all your no. film editing, that you just basically the, the movie's only thirty minutes long, isn't it? <laughs> like that's how yeah, long exactly. <laughs>
Um, but yeah, great chat. And obviously, we don't do interviews as as much as we probably should. Um, Ooh, we, you know, this is Robert Darby, have we? No, exactly. I mean, Robert Darby was peak double off seven. <laughs> um, and then you know, Nicholas Susick, good follow up. Uh, coming next week, uh, Sean Connery. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you know what? Seriously, we did an episode on the books, Noah and I. And the joke is basically, when are we ever going to get Ben on to talk about a book? And the fact that we got Ben on to talk about not one, but two books is absolutely insane. And I just want to establish, I've read bloody both of them. You only read one of them. So, you know, in your face, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) Ben's reading more than I am. What happened? I know. It's crazy. Uh, So next month, though, I believe we are going to get to our Thunderball commentary, but also uh, probably expect a trailer reaction episode at some point um, when it comes down to uh, No Time to Die, actually a trailer dropping, because we're expecting one, I think, in October, even if it is just a teaser at some point. um, You know, we will be expecting that. So busy month for trailers, possibly, because I think we're also due for a uh, Rise of Skywalker trailer too, aren't we, in October? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe a Wonder Woman trailer? Possibly. Uh, maybe a, um, I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I was trying to say something funny, but clearly wait, I wait, lost wait. my humor. Wait, we, we, we skipped the Bad Boys for Life trailer. What's wrong I know, with this? Where's our trailer reaction to every single trailer that we're going to be covering <laughs> next year? Um, there's well, that we, sort we should of... say that like the the no time to die trailer reaction will also be a no time to die title reaction episode yeah. which i'm sure we'll fit in 30 seconds on that as we keep talking about we did about 400 episodes on um spectre in the lead up to it so uh we're going to top that with about 401 but in all honesty it's, it's, it is an exciting time to be a bond fan we've had a, a long gap between uh spectre and and no time to die so uh obviously great to be able to sit here and reminisce over an era that you and i are very much partial to and uh, try and keep our monthly uh, episodes going instead of going like 12 months without bloody episodes, right? So we're, <laughs> we're getting there, people. We're getting there. Uh, but as I said, buy, buy both of Nicholas's book. Go to Amazon. Uh, they're both great reads. And that's coming from me, somebody who doesn't read. So uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to all our channels. We'd love to hear some feedback from you as well. Listen to our sister shows. Uh, you know all of them, particularly the qualifying lap. That hasn't been updated in about 12 months. But hey, cool. You can still download it. It still exists out there and we appreciate you listening to Double Oz 7 it's been a blast uh, let's end this traditionally my name is Ben and I can't think of anything so I'm going to go and get on a top of things <laughs> and my name is the Colin of the Millennium my name's Bond James Bond charming sophisticated secret agent I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. Xenia Sergeyevna on the top. On the top? I trust you'll stay on the top of things. You're a talented girl. No, no, no. No more foreplay. Don't ever. Just be a good boy and die. Don't say it. The writing's on the wall.
strangling the cat. Strangling a cat. You're late, 007. Have to stop in the bathroom. Jack Wade, CIA. James Bond. Stiff-ass bread. You have a license to kill, not to break the traffic laws. What's the matter, James? No glib remark? No pithy comeback? That's the trouble with the world today. No one takes the time to do a really sinister interrogation anymore. Boris! Boris! Back! God! I am invincible! If I want sarcasm, Mr. Tanner, I'll talk to my children. Thank you very much. Now, like a woman who enjoys pulling rank. Who's that? Natalia Simonova. Natalia Simonova. Did you check her out? Had to tell. Lovely girl. Tastes like pink strawberries. I wouldn't know. I would. Mm. She's a moron, a second-level programmer. She works on the guidance system. had a lovely evening. You? Once again, the pleasure was all yours. You'll understand if I don't call. I won't lose sleep over it. Don't touch that! It's my lunch. For England, James? No. Coffee?